Bibles to Proverbs chapter number 30. Proverbs chapter number 30. Hopefully my voice is going to hold up and get through this. Chapter 30. And uh, uh, tonight, I think we're just going to, we're going to cover two verses. And I know maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, man, that was not even worth coming for. If we're just going to study two verses, uh, you know, surely you ought to, you know, study more than that. But uh, there's a reason for it. There's no need in just seeing how many verses we can cover in a certain amount of time. Uh, it's a whole lot better to uh, to take off small bites that we can digest and uh, benefit from than it is, you know, to try to stuff ourselves and not derive any benefit. Beginning in verse 7, we see that the subject matter there is prayer. But here in verse 5 and 6, the subject of our study tonight has to do with the purity of God's Word. The purity of God's Word. Suppose you decided you're going to sit down and read a book. Whatever book doesn't make any difference to any book you sit down to read. Uh, or maybe you don't feel like reading, so you decide you'll watch TV. It might be sports, it might be entertainment, it might be a movie or whatever. Uh, or maybe you're just engaging in conversation with others. You know, you're bouncing ideas off of them and uh, you're listening to them as they, uh, as they express their feelings about things. In all of those instances, we have to filter everything that we hear or see, whatever it is, regardless of how good it sounds. You know, you might hear something on TV saying, latest scientific breakthrough, we've discovered, you know, this or discovered that and and so forth. But, but we have to filter all of those things because we have to have a way to figure out if what we hear is true or whether it's false. It's only when we open God's Word that no filter is needed. We never need a filter for it. We can know that God's Word is pure, that it is perfectly true in every point, and and that makes it the standard by which we judge everything else, whether it's a, a worldview. And everybody has a worldview of some kind. Some are very complicated and extensive. Others, you know, are very brief. They just sum it all up in a sentence or two. But everybody has a worldview. It might be the different ideals that people have or, or a philosophy that's embraced someone by someone. It might be a scientific theory that somebody has set forth. But whatever the case, the standard by which we measure all of those things is God's Word because it is the pure, unadulterated Word of God. And because of that, we can trust everything that it says. Now, because of that, automatically we know that whenever we set forth a standard and hold it out there for the world to see, saying this is the standard that we're to live by, automatically you can expect that there are going to be attacks against the Word of God. You could say that there is a battle for the Bible, and indeed there is. And it's been going on for years and years and years. In fact, there have even been books written uh, using that title, The Battle for the Bible. Uh, Now, because of everything I've just said, 
That makes this study here tonight, these little two short verses, especially verse number five, one of the most important verses in all of God's Word because this is speaking about the basis for our beliefs. And this is, this is, this is our answer to the world's arguments. You know, you can sit around and debate with the world, uh, you know, till you're blue in the face and get exhausted and fall over in a trance or something and not accomplish uh, anything. Uh, but we need to answer uh, with the truth of God's Word. So, uh, so we begin tonight in verse number 5. And remember in the previous verses there, we're not going to try to go over them, but in the previous verses, the writer shows us that speculation is in vain. And remember, he was speaking to his students in that day, but actually speaking to all of us. The speculation is never good enough. What we need is a revelation from God to man. And uh, because beyond that, you know, we can't see. Uh, we know only that which has been revealed by the Lord. And so that, that's what we see. And here tonight in this, we learn a couple of very important things. Number one, here in verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The first thing that we learn about the Bible is that God's Word is infallible. Well, that sounds simple, right? I, I mean, for all of us, we embrace that truth. We rest upon that truth. And, you know, like somebody said, God said it, that settles it. And that's the way, you know, we think about it. But it's, it's simple until the scholars get involved. Whenever they get to work on it, that's whenever the water gets muddied as they begin to explaining away things in order to prepare for, you know, what has become known as the modern translations of the Bible. And keep in mind that these are men that are supposedly scholars, those that you know, that know the Hebrew and the Greek and the history and everything else. And because of that, you know, they are the spiritual elite. And because of that, we are just put our faith in them and trust what they say. One of the worst attacks, and naturally we don't have time to investigate all of the modern versions of the Bible, but, you know, that's been done and, they, you know, they've all been proven to be false. But one of the main attacks happened in 1990 by Eugene Peterson and the the so-called new bible was entitled the message the subtitle of the message was the new testament in contemporary english and you know we could just go on and on talking about the many faults in that publication and there are many uh, you, you could write a book about all of the faults with it, but yet it was embraced by, I suppose, millions of people, you know, bought copies of it and believe it was just, you know, a great modern-day translation of the Bible. But I'm going to mention just one, just one problem with his translation of the Bible, and, and that's found here in the verse that I just read, verse number 5 where he changes the King James Version to say every promise of God is pure. 
You see, every promise of God is pure. Instead of saying every word of God is pure, is pure. Well, anybody, he or anyone else, can simply take a Hebrew dictionary, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can look up the meaning of Hebrew words and Greek words like anybody else can. And the meaning of the Hebrew word that is translated uh, every word means utterance or speech or word. That's what it means. Now, if that's what it means, why in the world would somebody come along and say that what it really means is promise? Because there's no justification for that change whatsoever. And, and, and look, that changes, that changes the uh, complexion of the whole thing because, you know, he just saying, well, yeah, all the promises of God are true, but that doesn't mean all of the Bible is true. But here it says, you know, every word of God is pure. And so that's why you often hear us Baptist preachers, most Baptist preachers, anyway, the independent Baptist preachers, talk about the verbal inspiration of the Bible because we believe, and we use that word verbal because it speaks about the fact that every word, every word of the Bible was inspired of God. You know, it's, it, you know, some people got the idea, and a lot of these modernists that work on these new translations, they, th you know, they say, well, the thought is conveyed, and you know, it was just the thought that was inspired of God, and uh, not the words themselves. Psalms 19 and verse number eight, you might want to jot it down in the margin of your Bible. There says, the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. You know, no wonder Jesus said, Ye do err in not knowing the Scriptures. And you think about the multitudes of people that have deprived themselves of what the Scriptures offer simply because they've never studied God's Word. You know, when you think about something so serious as the Word of God, and you talk about the things that I've just mentioned related to the new, new so-called translations of the Bible, it amazes me that people will accept that without making any investigation of it. You know, it's just the newest thing to hit the, hit the shelves at the bookstore and so wow that looks good i that you know i think i'll get one of those new translations that'll be easier to understand and they accept that without doing any investigation whatsoever I, that, the only thing in fact i don't know that it's even more foolish but equally foolish is for someone to have access to the word of god and deprive themselves of it by, you know, not picking it up and not reading it. We'd be better off to deprive ourselves of our daily bread. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, even if I'm, even if I'm sick, I usually kind of like to eat, uh, you know, eat something. Uh, and, and Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. More important than eating is feeding our soul on the Word of God. So this is the only book in all of the world that we can say is perfectly true. Now, listen, that doesn't mean that all of the Bible is of equal importance to our lives. 
Now, it might be it's all important. Don't misunderstand that. I'm just saying it's not all equally important to our lives, but it's all pure regardless. Maybe I better, somebody's going to go away misunderstanding what I'm saying. Whenever I say all of the Bible is not equally important to our lives, what I mean is, and, and, and by the way, what is most important in your life pertaining to the Word of God has a tendency to change from time to time. Before you're saved, it's the pure gospel that is the most important thing. There's no need in you trying to study prophecy or anything else, you know, until you've looked at the gospel and accepted the gospel. But after you've been saved, all of a sudden, different scriptures, you know, become more necessary so you can grow spiritually. As you develop spiritually, there'll be times in your life, depending on what you're going through, there'll be certain verses of Scripture that are just precious to your heart. And, and, and that's why down through the years, there's so many verses in Philippians that has been helpful to me. I mean, I just literally lived and depended and clung to certain verses uh, in, in Philippians, for example. Now, that was a whole lot more important and helpful to me, let's say, than the genealogies that are listed way back over in the Old Testament. You know, I, I can try to wade through those, but I don't benefit from it. But even then, keep in mind, those genealogies are true. Every word of the Bible is pure. It's all true. Now, because it's all true, number one, we must not ignore any of it. And, and sometimes, you know, we tend to do that because we've all got our favorite parts, right? Everybody here's probably got a favorite verse or, you know, the verse of the week or you got your top ten verses and so forth. And, uh, and, and so it's easy for us to ignore certain parts of the Bible. Uh, preachers have a tendency to get lopsided sometimes in their preaching. And it happens to every preacher, by the way, because there's sometimes, you know, that all of a sudden we'll find ourselves so focused on a particular subject or a particular book of the Bible that we just can't break away from it and have a tendency to ignore, you know, other important parts of the Bible. And so what we need is a balanced diet. We, we don't want to ignore any of it. But, but of equal importance, or maybe more so, is the fact that we need to make it the basis of our trust. And notice what he says here. He goes on and he says, every word of God is pure. But notice, he says, he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. He is a shield. He is our protector. He is the one, you know, that protects us in the fray. And, uh, and, and boy, we all need that, I'll tell you, because the fiery darts of the devil are going to come against us, uh, and they never stop. It's not like the devil takes a vacation, says, I'm going to give you a respite, and so, you know, I, I'm, I'm taking the week off. No, he doesn't do that. He just keeps shooting his fiery darts, and... Uh, and he knows exactly, you know, the, the most appropriate thing to do at the, at the most appropriate time in order to achieve the greatest damage. Our protection is the Word of God. You see, now, it's a shield. Without it, without it, we're defenseless. I mean, we don't have any way to defend ourselves unless we have the, 
the shield of God's word. I think about Jesus whenever he went into the wilderness and was tempted. And as most of you know, and you've studied it over and over, in each of the three instances, and remember, he was tempted in the same three areas that everybody is tempted in, going all the way back to Eve. And in every instance, he responded by quoting an appropriate section of God's Word. Not just any section of God's Word, because it's not some magical potion that you use and just quote a verse of Scripture and the devil takes off running. It doesn't work that way. There are specific uh, verses of Scripture that are appropriate as to the need at that time. And those are the verses that he used, and that was his shield. You know, no doubt all of us realize the need for faith, don't we? Because we all go through difficulties. We all struggle at times in our life and wonder, man, how am I going to make it? And we maybe we look at somebody else and, boy, we see their, their great faith in God. And, you know, here we are down in the dumps and they're, they're smiling like a possum and everything's going okay for them. And we wonder, how did they do it? I wish I had that much faith. Well, that's the great thing about it is that whenever we're lacking in faith, we can do something about it. You know, a lot of times we've got problems we can't do anything about, you know, problems that we can't solve. But over here in Romans 10 and verse number 17, where Paul says, you know, and tells us very clearly, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we know then that God's Word is inspired of God that is pure in every way. Now we come to verse number 6. And and notice he says here, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Add not unto his words words god's word is is implicit and by implicit i mean it's complete it's complete now i want you to see how serious this subject is because when you look in revelation 22 19 you see there's a curse attached to those that take away from it or those that add to it you see There's no need for any further revelation because the Bible is sufficient in and of itself. Turn your Bibles over to 2 Timothy. And there are two different sections I want us to take time to read tonight. My eyes are more blurry than usual. I don't know whether it's a Heriton dust or what it is, but uh, I I can't hardly see, but I'm going to try to wade through this. You're familiar, no doubt, with uh, this here in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He's just saying the Word of God is complete, that that we don't need any further revelation because it will do the job. Now, Peter, I think, addresses it even in a more 
impressive way, at least to my mind, in Second Peter 1, Second Peter 1 and verse number 19. He says, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Boy, do we ever live in a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men, remember whenever we started out here in, in, in Proverbs 30, we talked about the fact that uh, Agar, we didn't know a whole lot about him, and I made the statement, I said, I don't know a lot about him, but I know a couple of things. I know for one thing that he was a holy man of God. And that's true of every every writer in the Bible. Now, keep in mind that whenever Agur wrote, wrote this, the, the, the scriptures had not been completed at that time. So somebody, you know, might look at that and say, well, you know, how can he say that? Because the New Testament hasn't even been, you know, written at that time. That's not the point. The point is that any and all revelation from God is pure. Any, you know, it doesn't make any difference what generation it comes in. You know, there's a 400-year gap in between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament there. A, a dark time where, you know, God didn't give any revelation all during those years. So it doesn't make any difference who the author of the book or letter was. It doesn't make any difference what year it was written. If it is a revelation from God, that is, if it is a word from God, it is pure. And because it's pure... It doesn't need any addition to it. And so Agur was very careful about this to let his, his students know that this is the final authority. That when God speaks, you know, that's it. And anybody that would try to add to it are liars. You know, because they're speaking of something that they don't know anything about. Uh, there's no man that ever lived. And boy, let me tell you, there's been some brilliant men. Uh, I look back over the years and think of all of the books that I've read by men who were absolutely brilliant. And I, it, it just boggles my mind, and I've often wondered, how could it be that a person could acquire such great knowledge as some of those old saints had? I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You read the writings of people like Jonathan Edwards and so forth, and even though certainly, you know, we wouldn't agree with everything he said about his theology. He was a strict Calvinist. We wouldn't accept that. But you look at the scholarship of a lot of those people, and you wonder how in the world, you know, that they acquired such great knowledge. They could speak several languages. Well, for one thing, they didn't have TV and all the distractions of the day, and they applied themselves to study. But I mention all of that because of the fact that regardless of who the man or woman is, 
they're never able to give you a better idea or wiser counsel than what the Word of God says. Because when he speaks, that settles it. There was a local pastor, uh, this has been probably 20 years ago now. I'll never forget, I don't know why I was listening to the guy, but, uh, I, I, you know, I had the radio on. It was on the radio station, I, whichever one it is, has a preaching in the mornings. And and so he came on, and I thought, well, I would listen. Well, the subject matter of the uh, for him, uh, had to do with the subject of divorce and remarriage. Now, here, here is here is a man that uh, uh, you know. I know it offends people when you mention people by name, and so I just won't mention his name. He's a pastor of Second Baptist Church, but uh, you can figure that out for yourself. And he had a message on divorce and remarriage that I've never in my life heard anybody so butcher the Word of God as that man did that day, adding to the Word of God stuff that's not there and so on and so forth, giving thoughts and opinions as though they were the absolute truth, trying to justify his position, no doubt, to please a bunch of people that's in his congregation. How pitiful it is whenever... Anybody does that. When I, Look, I've often said, there are things in the Bible I don't understand. There are things in the Bible that given an option that I would do differently. If God just said, look, here's the problem. I'm looking to you for the solution. Now, what do you think we ought to do in a case like this? And I'm going to let you decide. And so I would make my decision, but my decision wouldn't be what the Bible says. It's only when I come to realize what the Bible says and I'm not as smart as God that the wise thing to do is to accept what the Bible says instead of what I think about it. Because what I think about it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. That's not important at all. It's what the Bible says. So uh, so that, that's the whole point here. It is complete in and of itself. The corruptors of the Bible really aren't new. We, we think about, we call them modern translations, and, and we act as though it all started within the last 50 to 100 years, but actually it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? And, you know, there where the serpent comes to Eve and as he is enticing her, you'll remember that comment, Yea, hath God said... Had God said, did he really say that? Are you sure? You know, and, and so there is a questioning of the word of God. It was a problem in Paul's day. And if we had time, we could go through several different verses. It's a problem he had to deal with in his day amongst the churches, especially the church at Corinth, of those that tried to corrupt the word of God. And that's why he so adamantly warned Timothy on several occasions about the word of God and sticking to it, staying true to it. Now, when we think about the corruption of God's Word, I'd be remiss if I didn't make this statement. We need to consider the cults. We need to consider the cults. Because, you know, if somebody, let's say, they say, well, you know, I'm looking for a church. I've decided I'm going to start going to church. 
You know, and I've always heard, and Grandpa said, it doesn't really make any difference what church you go to. They're all the same. They're all, you know, trying to go to heaven. They're just taking a different route or something. So there are a lot of people out there that believe that kind of stuff. And so it's very important that we provide information for them to lead them in the right direction. When you consider the cults, and let's just start with Catholicism, for example, and you think about their addition to the Bible. They are guilty of adding to the Word of God. I mean, they don't make any bones about it. I mean, they, they in fact, you know, they claim that they have the, the right to, to do that. And so, you know, they add their Apocrypha to the Word of God. And, of course, you know, they give the Pope the authority uh, whenever he's speaking to you know, under inspiration that he can, you know, he can, he can make new rules and change things around and what have you. Good night. Uh, I mean, it ought to be obvious to people. There's something wrong with that picture, folks, because we're not, we don't have the, we don't have the liberty to change God's word. We think about the Seventh Day Adventist, and uh, based on the visions, basically, of, um, of. Ellen White had visions, you know, that God was giving to her and based on her teaching, you know, and of course all of these people would say, oh yeah, we believe the Bible just like you Baptists do. Well, you know, they might claim they believe the Bible, they might even hold a copy of it in their hands, but then they add these additional revelations as the Seventh-day Adventists or as the Mormons and Joseph Smith. Oh, what a story he concocted. Oh, wow. I, you, I won't even try to go into that. But it's amazing that people are gullible enough to, to, to believe that and to doubt what the Word of God says. Well, along comes a Jehovah Witness and Charles Taz Russell, you know, and uh, in his teachings. And uh, they base everything on that. You know, I could, uh, I could, I could speak extensively about the problems with the charismatic folks, and in some ways that might be, could be, the most dangerous of all of them. Whenever, whenever you believe that you have the gift of prophecy in this day and age, as they do, they believe they have, they have prophets. Well, they can see into the future and they know this and they know that. And God told me this and God told me that you ought to do that. One fellow up there where I pastored in, in, in Cincinnati drowned, drowned trying to walk on water in the Ohio River because, because the preacher told him if he had enough faith, he could do it. And he went out there and drowned Believe in what that preacher said. You see the danger of adding to the Word of God, whether whether you add to it in a written form like Joseph Smith, or whether you add to it in the form of saying, you are a prophet sent from God. And uh, I'll never forget, I sat at Porter on visitation one time. I, I told this here a while back, but I'm getting old and justified and repeating myself. And uh, I knocked on this door, and they, they asked me if I was anything like the preacher 
pointed to a church over there, and I said, well, no, not really. Why? He said, well, I just wondered. He stopped by, and this remember this kind of out in the farming community, got cows and pigs and stuff. He stopped by here a while back and told us God told him to stop and told him to tell us that he said that one of those pigs out there in the lot belonged to him and they're supposed to give it to him. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a wonder. You mess up with some of those folks out Florida, you might get shot doing that, you know. But uh, that, that's the danger in, in, you know, in somebody adding to the Word of God. Now, I'm going to stop there tonight because that, I've got one other thing I want to do. But when we get to the next verse, we see Agar's prayer there, and, uh, and, and, and hopefully I'll be able to be here next week and we'll talk about that. Uh, but I want to mention seven things, and you might want to write these down. Maybe you can remember seven things that you ought to keep in mind about the Word of God. Number one, it is inspired. That means it's God-breathed. God breathed. Remember, the writers, the writers were not inspired as the word was. The writers were what? They were moved. I know sometimes we use that word inspired, but really they were moved. They were motivated, urged, used to write. It's the word that is inspired. You see, it's God breathed. Secondly, it's infallible. All of these are going to start with an I, so you have an alliteration, make it a little easier to remember. It's infallible. That means it's without any air whatsoever. As I said at the very beginning, I'm so glad I can just open my Bible and know wherever I open it, whatever I read, that I know that it's the truth. Number three, it is indestructible. It cannot be destroyed. And believe me, man has tried to the Bible. You know, they've tried to discredit it. They've tried to destroy it. They've piled it up in piles and burned it, trying to get rid of it. And the Word of God still stands like a solid rock today. Number four, it is implicit. We already talked, we just got through talking about that. By implicit, I mean it's complete. It doesn't need anything added to it. It it is what it is. Number five, it is indisputable. Maybe you're thinking, well, I want to dispute that because, you know, because I don't think it's indisputable because people do dispute it. Well, when I say it's indisputable, I mean it cannot be denied. You can argue about it if you want to, but it can't be denied. If you look at all of the facts, and some of you might remember some of the message, the ten reasons why I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and I probably need to preach that again. But, uh, uh, but, but, but when you look at all of the facts, it, it's an indisputable fact that the Bible is the Word of God. You know, some, somebody says, well, I believe in this scientific evidence because of certain facts and what have you. Have you ever looked at the facts about the Bible? The facts prove it is the Word of God. It's indisputable. Number six, it is inexhaustible inexhaustible i don't i don't want to just bore you and take your time but i guess it was this morning i was sitting down and i got distracted and just started writing some thoughts i was having 
and it had to do back whenever I started preaching and studying and you know, and I thought, man, whenever I've been preaching a lot of years, it's going to be so much easier. I'll know a lot of stuff. And, uh, you know, I won't have to study as much then. And just the reverse is true. Because back then, back then, let's suppose that I was going to preach from John chapter 3. And uh, so I was going to, let's say, two or three messages, John chapter 3. So I get through it in two or three messages. That's, you know, pretty easy. You know, naturally you want to study and get it right. I can't get through John 3.16 in two or three messages. You know, to really get into it, you, you know, you need six or seven messages to really do a thorough study of it. Now, I've mentioned that for a reason. When we talk about God's Word being inexhaustible, I'm telling you, regardless of how many years you study it, you have, it might exhaust you, but you haven't exhausted it. There is far more there than your mind ever imagined. And so you can keep going back to the well and getting more fresh water. You can go back to the mine and get more pure gold because it's inexhaustible. But lastly, number seven, it is indispensable. That means it is essential. Essential. We, we can't do without it, folks. Because of that, we ought to search its wonders. Whatever you do, don't ignore the Word of God. Search its wonders. Seek its wisdom. Store up its words in your heart. Submit to its will. Send it to the world because the whole world needs what you got that message you hold in your hand that's what the world needs more than anything else that they might gain the knowledge of the lord jesus christ so uh every word of god is pure aren't you glad to know that you have something like that a treasure like that in your possession Wow, not anything like it. Well, thank you so much for being here and being so faithful every week. And I, I don't have words enough to tell you how much I appreciate it. Be sure, and I know you are, but be sure to be much in prayer for Vacation Bible School. We, Boy, God gave us a, a great camp, and we're so thankful for that. And, and uh, just sitting there a while ago looking up there at all the hard work that's been uh, put into the props and so forth, and uh, but the best is yet to come, and so that all kicks off Monday evening, and so be much in prayer for everybody involved, and get the word out. Uh, we aren't those things out there. All right, there's some flyers out there. Uh, take them, spread the word, invite people to come. All right, any final word before we dismiss? All right, all minds clear. Let's. Let's all stand then, and we'll be dismissed by prayer. Bud Merritt, would you word our prayer tonight, son? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us here together as one to worship you, Lord, and uh, to study your pure word, Lord. Our, uh, our prayer list is mighty long, Lord, but you know the every need, and you're the beginning and the end of each need and want on that list, Lord. I want to thank you for the blessings in all of our lives, Lord, and, and uh, be with our Sunday services, Lord. And if anybody's not saved, Lord, may Sunday be the day that they yes. welcome you into their heart, Lord, and 
forever change their lives, change their families' lives, Lord. Be with us as we go our separate ways, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.